Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Nicole Chamberlain. Before we get to Nicole, here's a few announcements. First, TravelTalesPodcast.com is our website. Go there. You can see stories that I've written. You can see stories that some of the guests have written. You can see photos of our guests. You can see links to all their social media. And you can see links to our social media. And by that, of course, I mean Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, We have a Facebook page. There are links to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're everywhere you get your podcasts. So please download us, subscribe. It's all free. And I ask, as always, to please give us a good rating if you can, because that boosts our presence and helps more people find the show. So that's a cool thing if you can do that. If you think you'd be right for the show, you think maybe you know somebody who'd be right for the show, or maybe you just want to ask me some questions or say nice things, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, Nicole Chamberlain is someone I've known for many years, almost 20 years now. God, could that be right? Maybe 15 years. I don't know, whatever it was. We met when I was doing my HGTV shows in Denver. She worked at the production company in Denver that produced my shows for HGTV, and we met there, and we stayed in touch, and then her and her husband, Chris, moved to uh, Venice uh, here in L.A., and lived here for 10 years, and we hung out a lot. So it was uh, it was great to get to know them when they were here. And then her husband, Chris, who was in PR, got a job out in Hong Kong. And it was great, because now I knew somebody in Hong Kong. And I went and visited them there, and they lived there for a few years. And then Chris left that job, and now he got a job in Minneapolis a few years ago. And now they're living in Minneapolis, where she was when I did this Zoom interview with her. And it turns out they're going to be on the move again in the spring, moving to New York City. And I think they'll do great there. But Nicole in particular is someone who's moved around a lot in her life. She was an army brat, originally from Washington State, and then lived six years in Germany as an army brat and moved back to Colorado and then lived in Colorado, was a flight attendant for a little while. And I love talking to former flight attendants, current and former flight attendants, because they got great stories. We talk about her experiences, uh, her and Chris living in Hong Kong and uh, what they miss about it and what it was like living there. Since moving to Minneapolis, she has gone to get her master's at the University of Minnesota. She's studying public policy and human rights and all sorts of stuff. And she's worked on political campaigns and recently was at the big climate change summit in Glasgow, Scotland. So we talk about that for a little bit. Anyway, it was great to catch up with her. We recorded this on December 15th before I got on the ship. So I had to record this before I left and upload it. So if there's any big news that happened in the world between December 15th and now, well, we're not going to talk about it. Please enjoy my conversation with Nicole Chamberlain. Nicole Chamberlain, what is the situation there in Minneapolis? How much snow do you have? We had a snowstorm just a couple of days ago, but we were in New York City, so we missed it. And now we have an inch that is melting. It's like uh, 60 degrees today. 60? 60. It's colder in LA. I Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh. This planet is doomed, isn't it? I mean, it's coming quicker than we thought. Okay. Well, that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you, because I know you went to Glasgow for the big climate thing. But I thought I thought Chris, your husband, would go to that because isn't sustainability and everything his uh, wheelhouse? That's his job, right? It is. It is his wheelhouse. I feel like I'm getting a minor in human rights, which is very connected at this point in time to the climate problems and and all of that. So, you know, there's a ton of refugees that are coming through because of climate. It is, you know, all wrapped in. It's all together. 
you know? Right. So you're getting your master's in public policy and with a minor in human rights. Okay. That sounds so serious. (laughs) And I know you as such a fun loving person. What happened? What (laughs) happened when you went to, when you went to Minneapolis, you got so serious. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) I think it all happened when Hong Kong and I mean, you know, I mean, this city definitely has affected me after last summer and everything that went down. But yeah, I mean, it it feels like I am moving towards something that I've been moving towards for a long time. So this is a good um, a whole new uh, line of work for me, I'm hoping. And you have been moving a lot. Because we met, you were living in Denver and you're a Colorado native, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm actually a Washingtonian. I'm a Washingtonian. Oh, right. Washington mm-hmm. State. Yeah. Right. Army brat. So oh, that's right. Germany. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, that's right. Germany. Every so often you'll <laughs> you'll let out a German swear word. Oh, yes. Yes. It's <laughs> the only word I know, I think, in German. No, I'm joking. Scheiße. I know a little bit more. Um, yeah. So Germany, I feel like is, you know, six years there, seven years as a, as a kid growing up and then Colorado, I was, uh, um, I was there for a while, I think about 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. What age did you leave Germany? I was 16. 16. Those are pretty formative years. That's gotta be tough. It was fun. (laughs) Was it fun? Oh, yeah. You could drink legally there. Nobody cares. had a lot of fun. It was before the wall (laughs) fell, too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I tell people, which is weird because you're only 29. I know. I know. Right. (laughs) And you're only 30, right? Yes. Well, I tell people that was my first trip. You know, I've told that story many times on here that my first trip to Europe was in 89. And I was there the last summer of the Berlin Wall. So I went through Checkpoint Charlie and all that stuff. Still have some East German money. And what, what town were you in? We were in Baumholder, which is near um, Stuttgart. And then we were also in Baumberg, which is near Nuremberg. So we were stationed in two locations, but went to Berlin quite often as a kid. Yeah. And you were going to, was this an American school on the base? Yep. American school. Yeah. How much contact do army brats have with like the town folk? I mean, do they, how do they look at you and how do you look at them and what do they think of all these American soldiers walking around their town. I dated a couple of German guys that barely spoke English. So, you know, it was fun. Uh, <laughs> I used to ride around on, on the back of motorcycles with the German guys. So I think, you know, they liked us to a degree. I think Baumholder, the, the place where I went to high school, it was because of the base that the actual town survived and thrived. So, you know. Right. And then and then you come back here to <laughs> yeah. Colorado. Yes. It had to be weird to go to teenage life and then you you come smack back into uh John Holmes world. Yeah. Not John Holmes. John <laughs> John Denver. <laughs> John Hughes. John oh Hughes. <laughs> oh my God. I said John, that's a Freudian slip if there ever was. <laughs> I don't know how you handle your business, but <laughs> John John no, Hughes. John Denver. I was like, yeah, that, well, well, that too. I mean, whatever it is, I'm saying it, it must have been different than Germany. It was. I mean, we had MTV for the first time. Woo, yeah. <laughs> when I moved back, MTV was great. <laughs> um, yeah, it was cable, <laughs> cable, man, all these channels. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, growing up on an army base in Germany, it ain't that much fun. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That's why I had to date German guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did your dad try to keep the uh, army guys away from you? Oh, yes. Yeah, my sister ended up marrying a GI. So. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. God. So you come back here and you're in Colorado. And we met in Denver when you were uh, working, doing TV. Mm-hmm. And I was a television producer. Yeah, but was it before then or after that you were a flight attendant? I was a flight attendant probably almost 10 years or maybe six years before I started working as a producer. And then I did them both at the same time for a while. So for about six years, I was a flight attendant and a producer. Wow. And is it Frontier Airlines? Yep. Frontier Airlines are still around. Mm-hmm. Give me your best flight attendant story best and worst well i had worst is easy easy to think of i had a near crash coming out of atlanta 
And that was very, very frightening. I ended up quitting probably less than a year later. Um, <laughs> it was really, really scary. Our, our engine went out, started on fire, and we had to turn around and prepare the cabin for emergency landing. It was it was the closest I've ever been to yeah death, I think. <laughs> so. Wow. Did the did the masks come down from the and everything? No, like we honestly, surprisingly, we landed and we didn't even I mean, we had like the firefighters on beside us and, you know, um, leading us in, but nothing. We didn't even take the um, slides out. So we ended up getting back to the gate and we were OK. The uh, fire went out and we were yeah, fine. But definitely helped me decide to quit. So, yeah. <laughs> I always say to people who are scared of flying that, look, I always tell them to look at the flight attendants. They do this every single day. So every little bump that you're worried about, they don't even care. But if the flight attendants start acting weird and panicking, that's worth getting scared about. So when that yeah. near crash, were you like losing your cool? I was in the back, so I was scared and I was losing my cool, but no one saw because I was in the back <laughs> galley. <laughs> so I was just, I was saying prayers. I mean, like my Catholic, my Catholic upbringing came back. At that <laughs> point. It's amazing like, how it comes back at those times. Huh? <laughs> yes, it was frightening. <laughs> I, mean, I think, let me see the best. Gosh, I don't even, you know, I had, I had a really cool hippie dude drop a whole bag of pot in the <laughs> bathroom. And that was so hilarious. And we had to give it to our pilot who probably smoked it. I don't know. Absolutely. But, Hopefully yeah. not in the cockpit. No. And we, we had to call the police and then all of us flight attendants lied and said, we didn't know who dropped it. And we actually <laughs> knew who dropped it. So, but he <laughs> got you covered for him. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Poor so, guy. <laughs> but frontier is, is all domestic, right? They don't go international or do they? They do um, Mexico and like South America. Yeah. So oh, we yeah, they went, do, mm -hmm. but, but not over like over what big water. They don't go over um, to Europe. Okay. Yeah. So what was the biggest, what was the coolest place you guys got to go to? You know, we did, I did Cancun a lot. I used to have no, like no. 24 plus hours there and that was fun. So we would sit on the beach and drink. Um, Alaska was pretty awesome too. Like I just, I really, I loved going there because I had never been there before flying. So, right. Yeah. How did the Mexicans like you? You were like, you're the worst Mexican. I know. Ever. <laughs> I'm speaking, speaking German. Now. Are you speaking? Spanish. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Because Chamberlain is not your uh, maiden name. No, Pacheco. Pacheco. Yeah. See, and they <laughs> did. Did, did you get off the plane in Mexico and people start speaking Spanish to you? No. You know, what's funny is I think everyone thinks I'm Italian. <laughs> uh, we were just in New York City and, and the Italians in Little Italy were talking to me in Italian. And I was like, oh, OK, no, I don't know. So I don't <laughs> know if I really pass for for Mexican. I think I'm a little light skinned, unfortunately. I is there is there yeah. anything you miss about being a flight attendant? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the free travel, that's got to be first and foremost. Yes. But what else? I really enjoyed walking through um, the security without having to like do much, just walk through. And that was incredible. You go to the front of the line. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Did I you ever uh, get close to missing a flight? Um, like you're running late, maybe you're hungover. Oh. Yes, yes, <laughs> of course. The flight crews are like doctors and I always say doctors and nurses. There's so much drinking and partying going on, really. Yeah. Wow, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those are the stories I want to hear. But come on. What was what was the crazy? I guess Cancun probably was pretty wild. No, I mean my very first flight, my captain took us. We were out in Chicago, one of my first times in the city, which I love Chicago. And we went to like five different um bars and we had to have a drink at each bar so the <laughs> next morning uh it was my first flight pretty much my second flight you know and i was so hungover i think i got sick that morning on the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah you just described every uh night of my 20s living in chicago that's pretty much how it went uh such a great city i know yeah so then so after you worked in television in denver you and uh your husband chris moved to la Yes. And who did you know here besides me? I don't think we knew anyone. We, knew. <laughs> we only knew Mike Siegel. I was so happy to know someone. 
No, we didn't know anyone. And it was hard. We all, we thought that like it was going to be, everyone has such a bad, uh, you know, idea of LA and we were nervous and it was one of our favorite places we've ever lived. I love it. 10 years, almost 10 years. We were there nine years. Yeah. It was a long stretch for you. I know. Yeah. And awesome. I introduced you to the whole, a whole crowd, six degrees <laughs> of seagull. That's what I want. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, we were in Venice beach and right. we didn't stray too far from there. We just stayed in that area. Yeah. You lived in five different places. <laughs> you moved you a remember. lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you did the big move because of Chris's job. You went to Hong Kong. Yeah. And who was the first person to visit you in Hong Kong? You were. Yeah, damn right. <laughs> well, that that's what I tell people now. I learned a lesson there. You don't want to be the first guy. You want to be the last guy. Mm-hmm. Because by the time, because you were still feeling it out by the time I got there, you were new in town and like, yeah. and then like our friend Judy went, who also did this show. She was like the last person to visit. And you had been there, what, a couple of years and you had the place dialed in. You're like, oh, that's our favorite coffee spot. That's our favorite yes. restaurant. That's when you came, we didn't know anyone. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I think we you came like within the first two months we were there, maybe. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. Nice. So what years were you in Hong Kong? Uh, was it 16 to 19? No, 15 to 18. Yeah. Okay. 2015 to 2018. And now you look at Hong Kong and and a lot's changed. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of our friends, you know, we have some of the local friends have moved on because of just safety and um, things that are happening with the protest. And but, you know, the expats are still hanging on. I don't think it's affected the changes that are happening in Hong Kong. I don't think it's affected a lot of people. Do you think the expats feel that like this doesn't really affect them as much like they're not going to they're not going to suffer the consequences the same way the locals are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they, they really stay together in their own groups. You know, like the, the French really hang out with the French, the (laughs) British people hang out with the Brits and the Americans and the Aussies. And they kind of, they don't intermingle a ton with locals, which is kind of sad, but they, I mean, think about Shanghai has a ton of expats as well, and it's deep in, in China. So you know, I think they'll be fine for a while, at least. Yeah. I still have never been to mainland China. That was, you know, that's high on my list, but I've been to Hong Kong twice and I loved it, but it's such an international city that, I mean, it's pretty cool. You, you'll be in one block that looks like London, then you walk two blocks and you're in China. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty wild. How many, what's the population there? I mean, it's crazy crowded. Yeah. It's like, I think it's almost 7 million. In the size, I think it's like a third of the size of Manhattan. Yeah. At least Hong Kong Island is. It goes straight up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you, it's such a beautiful city. I mean, it's yeah. so, yeah. What do you miss about Hong Kong or what don't you miss? Oh, my gosh. I miss the food for, for sure. Um, just the scene. It's just so much going on. And the safety. The safety of Hong Kong as a woman, it is the safest place. Like I could go out at two in the morning. I used to run at night in Hong Kong because nothing ever happens to um, women and to people. There's not a lot of crime. Yeah. So, yeah. And then um, what do I, I don't miss the heat. Oh <laughs> yeah. You didn't, you didn't do well in the heat. Ever. No, as a Mexican, you think I'd do better, but no, <laughs> I'm the worst, <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Germany took all the Mexican out of you, I think. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> if and then if Colorado didn't finish it off. Yes. And Hong Kong and now and Minneapolis. Woo! I know. Okay. So I mean, do you think I don't know, what do you wish you have done differently if you were going to Hong Kong now? Uh, uh you know, if you were doing it over, what would you have done differently? Yeah. I mean, I think we did a pretty good job. We prepared, we visited before going, before moving there, and we had enough money to enjoy ourselves, um, which is necessary in a big city, an expensive city like that. We had the coolest apartment. You did have a cool apartment. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we do it any different. I think maybe, I mean, I'd like to stay longer for sure. We were only there three years. I would have liked to put in maybe three or four more. Definitely. I would want to stay longer. I thought you were the one ready to come back. No, no. Chris quit his job. Well, I know that, but I thought, (laughs) I thought you were like ready to, 
you would have had it no, after a few years. I don't think so. I think, I mean, if, if he had, if we had a visa, we would have been able to stay a little longer. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where we, we were like, should we come back? Should we stay? And then we had to get a visa and that's not, you know, one of us had to have a gig. So right. that's what we were. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think maybe we were ready, but coming back to Minneapolis of all places was very difficult. Yeah. No, I, I you were ready to come back to LA. You were ready. You were ready to come back to Minneapolis, no. a place you never lived and really knew nobody. Nobody. Culture shock. Complete. Yeah. I mean, it was really hard. And we're. I still feel like we're recovering, which is we're going on almost <laughs> four years. Yeah. It's been four years already. Wow. Yeah, it will be four years. I don't know. The last year and a half doesn't count for anything, though. I mean, it's like time stood still. I don't know what happened. I know. I know. Yeah. We've all it, been locked um, down. I don't even remember that year, right? <laughs> I know it's a blur, but oh, I used to tell people about the uh, the film you did in Hong Kong about it's called The Help. Is that what it is? It's called The Helper. Yeah, The Helper. Um, actually, I think let me think about it. It's The Helper documentary, which <laughs> really yeah. isn't a great um, kind of on the title. nose. <laughs> but it, um, yeah, it's about domestic helpers because that is a huge thing in um, Asia and in Hong Kong, Singapore. And yeah, it was a wonderful experience. I got to meet and hang out with the wonderful helpers of Hong Kong. And it's it's a real positive take on their situation, although it could have been negative. There's a lot going on with the helpers. So, yeah, yeah. When we say helpers, I mean, for people who don't know, it's pretty much living maids and living to help, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot yeah. of them are from like the Philippines and stuff like that. And they don't get to see their families for sometimes years on end and yeah, everything. And they work 24 seven. I mean, it's supposed to be 24 six, but oftentimes they don't get days off. I mean, it's incredible. They are raising the Hong Kong children. Honestly, they are the ones that go through all of that, you know, everything with the children and the mothers and the fathers, you know, take their time off and, do what they have to do to live in a city that is so expensive, you know, double income, but right. Yeah. They're incredible. The so Chris there. got, Chris got some work back in, in Minneapolis and that's why you moved there. And then you went back to school, but do you think your experiences around the world and especially what you saw say in Asia and things like that kind of led you into like human rights and, and that kind of thing? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I have a degree, my, my, um, my first degree is in psychology. And I always wanted to tell stories of my, of people that were like me. So um, Latino people, um, people that, you know, I'm second generation. So people that migrated and I just felt like those stories needed to be told. So I got into television to tell those stories, which as we know, it's hard (laughs) to, to get into telling those kind of stories. So this just continued to push me when we got here to Minneapolis and I wasn't working in film or television. I thought, why not? Why not go back to school? And it was available. It's one of the best um, public policy schools in the nation. So it worked out perfect. Yeah. Okay. I mean, also, I mean, there's a political aspect of what you're, you're doing and, uh, you know, I have, like a lot of people been so soured on politics, especially in the last six years or so. How do you approach it without getting angry and, and bitter and give me, I guess I want some hope from you in some way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, in my, um, in my recent classes that I'm taking in human right, because I've got all of my credits for my master's in public policy the human right aspect, the human rights aspect of it is quite exciting. And the, the kids that I'm going to school with are very inspiring. Like they are intelligent, very, very smart and very, very um, into making the world a better place. That sounds so that sounds so Pollyannic, but. Um, well, somebody has to be if you're not <laughs> idealistic when you're young. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yes, people get a little more. I mean, it's. I guess it's natural and common for people to get a little more conservative and close minded as they get older. But if you're not open minded when you're young, that's depressing to me. It's yeah. certainly boring. Yeah. You know, how boring yeah. are you as a <laughs> as a 20, uh, 20 year old and you're just, you know, just angry at everybody? I, I don't know. 
Yeah. I hope I no, wasn't I that way. Like, I feel like the kids are are really leading the way. And I, I just watched, this is such a silly, I just watched the new um, Sex and the City show. Okay. I haven't seen and, it. Okay. And Miranda is going back to school for human rights. And I just <laughs> thought it was hilarious. I'm like, oh my God, I'm in good company. All I'm right. following the Sex and the City girls. <laughs> I don't know if I uh, you were the Miranda in no. that I've, <laughs> you I never struck really. me as a as Miranda. No, I'm a Charlotte, I think. Yeah. yeah. Dude, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. No. Well, um we'll talk so, about yeah. that later. So I think that's the inspiring part for me is that the kids are really smart and they're really going to make a difference. It feels like it and um I feel like I can I can make a difference as well. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, is your I mean, goal eventually something like social work or is it politics or working on campaigns or nonprofits or what are you thinking? Yeah. You know, I worked on a bunch of campaigns here in Minneapolis. Um, There's a lot going on here. The George Floyd murders. And um, we had just a lot of different changes happen the last two years. And I don't think campaigning is what I want to do. It was kind of good because I realized that after working here. And I really, I would like to do international work. So the UN honestly would be the ultimate. Um, But there's so many NGOs that I'm looking into. And I actually even was thinking of applying to the Foreign Service, which which sounds The Foreign Service, like in what way? Like not like the Peace Corps or something like that. No, or. no. The Foreign Service is like diplomats overseas that you go over and you work in the embassies. You work um, helping, you know, people, the Americans or the people that are traveling and working for the embassy. You take care of them. So, yeah, it's a whole a whole nother option. I am getting to the age that I might not be accepted, um, but I do have a couple more years before that happens. So Ooh, I kind of like to do that. And if they're not going to take you, I know they're not going to take me. (laughs) I think you (laughs) have about five or six more years. I want to be a diplomat. (laughs) That that seems like a good gig. Right? Yeah. Oh, God, that's yeah. (laughs) I don't. But isn't it true when you see like the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to Estonia? Now, it's like that gig. Don't they just go to people who just gave a lot of money to that candidate? And pretty much they're just rich people who. I hope not. I mean, isn't that how you get it? No, I mean, come on. The, the U.S. ambassador to England, who you know, it's I don't know. Whoever it is, is the a really rich person who who were, was appointed by whoever he gave money to in a campaign. Yeah, possibly. But I hope traditionally I mean, I that's know. the way it is. I mean, yeah, maybe yeah. it's a sweet gig. Guess, yeah. Yeah, but you would have to. I would hope that you would speak the language. No, I don't. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I would think. Yeah, yeah. but maybe some would yeah. be harder gigs than others. I mean, yeah. if you're the ambassador yeah. to Afghanistan, I mean, it's a little, <laughs> it's a little more hands on. I don't know. You know what I mean? You know. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> um, but you've been. Know. Have you? I'm not. I'm not big into country counting. But how many? Do you know roughly how many you've been to? Gosh. Maybe, oh, I don't even know. I mean, when I was a flight attendant, we went overseas so often. Maybe 30, I'm, I mean, seems like more. I haven't been to Central America. I mean, South America, I've been to Central. So not a lot really? of South America. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, surprised at that. Enough. Yeah. You'd love a lot of it. I think so. I think Chile would be great. And Argentina. Yes, those are. that's our next, I think, place that we'd like to go for sure. Yes. And not as hot for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> Brazil might be incredibly hot, but. Uh, yeah. It can get a little warm, but yeah. you'd like that too. I, yeah, I think. And I'll, that's, those are my people, right? The Latinos. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, do you think, I mean, my biggest regret the whole time you lived in Hong Kong is the time you guys went skiing in Japan uh, and I had work and I couldn't go. And I regret that to this day because I've been trying to get back and I've now canceled. I've pushed my Japan trip that I was supposed to take last year. I've pushed it now to 2022. Uh And I don't even know if that's going to happen. They're still not open to us. So I want to go. Tell me about skiing in Japan and how awesome Uh, it was. Yeah. And when you go, we have to join you because we, we said we will continue to go back. It is honestly 
I mean, I've skied, I learned how to ski in Austria because I was, the, you know, an army brat and then skied in Colorado, which is one of the best places in the world. No, you know, good skiing. <laughs> yeah. Japan is incredible. Japan yeah. is, I think the top, yeah, the top three of skiing in the world. And just the scene there, you know, it is perfectly done. Everything is beautiful. Après ski is incredibly fun and you know, they have the hot springs, the, what are they? The onsen. Yes. The the onsen. onsen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a spa. Those are so wonderful. That's just, yeah. So it's just everything combined makes Japan like the best skiing location. I got to go. We'll plan Mm -hmm. it. We'll plan it. Yeah. I want to, I want to sit in the hot springs with the the snow monkeys. That's just (laughs) still one of my, my dreams, but everyone says they're kind of scary. So maybe that won't happen. Right. Right. (laughs) I don't know. Scary monkeys in a hot tub. That sounds weird. <laughs> Where um where's left for you to go that you're dying to? What's your bucket list places? I you I, said South America already, but Yep, Chile for sure. And then, you know, we I haven't been I haven't done Australia oddly enough. Oh. Australia, I mean, I love New Zealand, which I know it's very different. The Kiwis and um, the Aussies are completely different, but I think they're not completely different. Yeah, (laughs) they're not that different. I mean, they're different, but I mean, (laughs) they're different in the way that us and Canadians are different. Oh, yeah. And the Canadians (laughs) are cooler, which means the I think the new the Kiwis are cooler, are cooler. It's always the smaller nation that, uh, you know, a little more defensive about it. Yeah. And that's uh, probably. I think, though, you know, um, South America and then a little bit of Asia. I haven't been to India as well, which seems... I'm surprised because Hong Kong is such a great base to go to everywhere in Asia. I know. I'm surprised you didn't utilize that more. We were drinking too much Prosecco. We did not <laughs> get a chance to go to places. <laughs> Although we went to probably like six or seven. I mean, we went to Cambodia and Vietnam mainland China. I mean, I feel like maybe we didn't do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, were, what were your favorite places there? I mean, oh, you could take wow. a weekend trip and go on a plane to Thailand. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Japan was incredible. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think Japan was, the, it's a two hour flight from Hong Kong. So Japan is probably my number one. Tokyo is the most incredible city. Yeah. And then I would say Vietnam. Yeah. Those two are, they're just so, yeah. There. No. Oh, you've been to probably both of those, right? Japan yep. and Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love them both, mm-hmm. but I've only been to uh, Japan once. And again, tried to go last year. Yeah. No go. What tried about to Bangkok? Go. Did you like Thailand? Oh yeah. I've been like five times. It's one of my oh, favorite wow. countries in the world. Oh, it's just, yeah. uh, you know, Bangkok can be a little overwhelming. I mean, if you're used to a place like Hong Kong and well, Hong Kong is overwhelming as well, but I mean, like Tokyo is so, and Japan is just so clean and right. modern safe in comparison to the rest of China, but Bangkok, I don't know. It's kind of got a gritty vibe that I like Yeah, too. I mean, it's not, I'd much rather be in the country in Thailand mm. or at the beach or something or up in the mountains, but yeah. you know, as a city, you know, it's pretty cool. It's yeah, cool. It's pretty nice. We also went to one of the, uh, not Koh Samui. We went to one of the islands. Phuket, um, P. Maybe it was Kosamui. Kosamui is an island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. that's the common one. That's a, yeah. that's that's nice. I like Kosamui. Mm-hmm. It was really nice. Definitely yeah, want to is... go back. Hmm. Hmm. How about uh, the rumor that I hear that you're going to New York? <gasps> yes, we are moving to New York. I've that is exciting. For the last twenty years. I've well, now it's going to happen. Your Sex in the City moment is coming. I know. I can't believe it. I love, I mean, I have ever since I was a flight attendant, I flew to New York all the time. And then I don't know, we just, I did, I did work there as a producer and then Chris is from Boston. So we would hit New York all the time. So I feel like it's it's just been building. I'm ready. And we've been, I've probably been, you know, 20, 30 times. So it feels like home. Yeah. Well, hold on. Chris is from Maine. Don't let him hear you say he's from Boston. <laughs> Yes, but he's a Sox fan. The New England, yes. Well, they don't have much of a choice up there. Yes, yes. So you see his people, Boston boy. He feels like Boston. Oh, sure, of course. Weird, you know, to go to New York City. (laughs) Do you know what where you want to live, or have you thought about it? Yeah, we were there this weekend, and we're thinking a couple places: Lower East Side. 
we're looking okay. into. And then, then completely different, the Upper West. Everyone says we might be that age that that would be good. <laughs> yeah, Lower East. Maybe you, you, I hate to break it to you. You might not be hip enough anymore for the uh, Lower know. East. I'm not. It's I can so tell you right now, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I but it, everything's so gentrified in Manhattan anyway. I mean, so you you basically Manhattan. So you wouldn't go to Brooklyn or no. If I'm in nice parts, my old neighborhood is yeah. Brooklyn. Where was it? Park Slope. <gasps> okay, where is that? It's um. Oh, you'll know it. I mean, you are the age for Park Slope. Actually, it's okay. it's actually pretty good. Okay. It's um. It's just. It's kind of in the heart of Brooklyn. Prospect Park. Oh, okay. is right there near Grand Army Plaza. It's okay. not far from where uh, the new stadium where the the Nets play and you know Barclays oh, okay. arena right, and right. stuff like that. It's like one one stop away. Okay. On all the right. on the NR or the uh, F train and the uh, yeah, you take the uh, NR to the uh, Atlantic Pacific stop and then you get a get off a of Union and you walk up. Oh, um, <laughs> I've good friend Rob. Do you know you know my friend Rob? I do know Rob. Yeah, he still lives there. I'll hook him up with it. He's still yes. still there in Grand Army Plaza around there. So he used to was he in L.A. for a bit or I just met him in L.A.? No, he would always come out and visit and okay. stay with me. Okay. Um, but that's exciting. And so mm-hmm. you're going to go in the spring. Yes, I graduate in May and we're looking at yeah around there, June, maybe. So you oh, have you're going to get another visitor. <laughs> Good. Yes, you're going to get yes. another one. <laughs> Good. But, you know, a guest room is a little hard to come by out there. I know we're going to get one. We're doing two bedroom, two baths. We have to. You're going to have to downsize. You're going to get rid of that car. Going to get rid of your car. I think so. Yes. Yes. That'll be fun. Oh, that's crazy. We have, we've had a car for the last four years. I know where, um, where is his office? You know, I think it's, it's near, uh, it's on the East. So it's near, um, lower East side. So that's why kind of we're looking. Oh, it's downtown. Yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. Okay. But, you know, we've also heard like um, Battery Park in that area is like up and coming right now. I have another friend in uh, Battery Park, a great couple I'll introduce you to, oh. who I had dinner with when I was just there in uh, September. Okay, great. They're great. And you guys would get along swimmingly. All right, good. We have friends. Yeah, see? <laughs> Everywhere you go, I got to introduce you to people. Yes, yes. <laughs> and in return, I need a sofa you to crash on. You have our spare anytime. How's uh how's our little dog bear? Oh, he's 11 years old and he's Oh my crazy. gosh. I know, right? Yeah. 11. He's, I think we were figuring out he's been in, lived in nine homes since, <laughs> since he was born. Yeah. <laughs> since he was a puppy, nine homes we've lived in. So Okay, now I want to do we hinted on it earlier about the um Glasgow trip and the climate yes. thing. So why did you go and not Chris? So I am a student at University of Minnesota and the University of Minnesota is quite connected to things going on in the environment. Oddly enough, there's a lot going on here in town. So they had a lot of um, opportunities for students to go to COP. And I guess they've gone in the past as well, in the past years. And um, you are a representative of the university, you're a delegate, and you are an observer. So you get this pass and you go and I went for the first week and then we had a a collection of students that went for the second week. Total from University of Minnesota was 45, around 45 people. So um, it was wonderful. I, you know, I had a friend that told me that there was um, tickets still available or, you know, um, positions of the delegation. And so I reached out. It was really like an afterthought. Um, I reached out because of my human rights connection. And and we'd been talking a lot in my classes about um, the refugees and things happening in the world um, with climate change. And so I kind of applied and they said, oh, well, you're you're a documentary filmmaker. You're, you'll be great. You have to bring your camera. <laughs> and I was like, OK, sure. I'm you know, I don't have a camera, but I'll come. <laughs> and, <laughs> I can find um, a camera somewhere. Exactly. I mean, I have an iPhone, so yeah, exactly that. So I, you know, it's funny because I had just had a great class. It was one, a one um, credit class and it was an international 
strategic crisis negotiation class. And I was the head of the U.S. delegation. And I, it was a, it, you had two days where we were pretending to be um, in this situation, the strategic crisis situation in the South China Sea. So I was like prepared. I felt like I was so ready to be a delegate at COP because I'd already been bossing people around mm-hmm. and being a representative of the United States. Mm-hmm. And when I got to COP, it was so overwhelming that I completely lost my whole experience that I just had for two days worth of work. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that's how I got to go. Um, What was the, okay. So COP stands for. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Something our our planet. What was it? Uh, Something. (laughs) Let's see. (laughs) I don't even know. Ooh, Chris would know. See, that's the thing. Chris, I mean, like you said, Chris should have gone. And when <laughs> I got the opportunity to go, I was like, oh, you have to come with. And of course, we had to pay for our tickets, our flights, and where we were staying. And at that point, it was quite expensive. Yeah. So I went and represented, and I actually called him, and and he got to see a lot of things while I was there. But So you got all these leaders from around the world. Mm-hmm. who are discussing climate change and yes. greenhouse emissions and all this other stuff. Are there just meetings and seminars all day or can you sit in on like debates or what do you do there and how do you get in and yeah, what happens? It was pretty incredible. Um, you as an observer, you can get in, but because of COVID, there were a lot of restrictions this go around. So you had to have a COVID test before leaving your country of origin. You had to take a COVID test every day before going in to the location. And then you had to self-report. So everyone had to show a negative um, COVID uh, test before heading in. And then there was usually like a line that was two or so hours to get in because there were so many people. It was massive. There was a blue zone and a green zone. And blue is where all the negotiations were happening and where all the big players were, uh, which I got to go into. But the negotiations that are happening are in smaller areas. And because of COVID, you really have to show up early to see if you can get like just a couple seats available for observers. So I did not get into any of the true negotiations. I did get into some of the smaller panels and that's what you do pretty much all day, 10 hours or so. You go to different panels and um, each day is a different uh, topic. So one day was all about money and fundraising. So in all the different locations, each country has a big um, like booth, a grant, but it's not just a booth. It's like quite large and each country and then other um, NGOs like the World Wildlife Foundation, those type of NGOs have big um, uh, booths as well. So you go and everywhere you go, they have um, these seminars that you sit in on. And it was pretty great. You know, I mean, I got to learn a lot about what's happening in all the different countries, India and, you know, Afghanistan, everyone was there. And so you get to see people going by that, that camera crews are following. And you're just trying to figure out, was that a prince from Mm -hmm. some country? Who was that? Or was that Greta? I mean, Greta Thunberg (laughs) was there and I never got to see her, but I knew she passed me because there was this massive crowd around this little person who I couldn't see, (laughs) but yeah. What was your biggest takeaway from this? I mean, mm-hmm. how long were you there? And what what changed your mind when you were there? What kind of blew you away that you didn't realize yeah. was happening? I was there nine days and I got into the um, the actual event for six. Um, you know, it was funny. One of our one of our fellow students that was there, he was in a location where he kept running into John Kerry. So I'm a little bit of a fangirl when it comes to politicians. So <laughs> I I was wait, waiting in even John area. Kerry. 
Yes, John Kerry. I so <laughs> wanted to see him. I never got to see him. I did see a great presentation by Gore, Al Gore. And that yeah, was I figured cool. he would be there. I figured yeah. that. And he looks really good. He looks much better than he has in a while. Okay. Um, that was an hour and a half and he was angry. He got very angry and it was, it was good to see. Um, but what did I take away? You know, one day we, we all went to this incredible, um, um, God, I'm trying to think, sorry. We were out protesting. We were in a big protest. Um, and it went for miles and miles. We had over a hundred thousand people that were out and all the different countries were there and representing, there were flags from all the different countries. There was women groups and um, migrant groups and indigenous um, people dressed in their garb. It was pouring rain. There was a ton of youth there. I think that was the most incredible day being surrounded by the different nations and the different groups that were fighting for, you know, to be heard about what's happening because so many of these countries that are experiencing climate change are in the, you know, global South and they, they're the ones that actually haven't contributed much to climate change. So they are struggling and their voice actually, it felt like it was heard. It felt like it was being heard in this situation of COP. Um, now did they exit having much power and did things change much for them? I'm not sure, but it did. It, it was really great to see them represent it. Um, that, did you, I think. right. I mean, did you get the sense that politicians were there to actually do something or, uh, for a photo op and for appearances more than action? Because we have a lot to answer for, yes. you know, especially if the last six years, the U.S., you know, I mean, if we don't lead, which we don't seem to be leading, mm-hmm. um, you know, if the number one polluter doesn't lead, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. what chance does uh, the smaller nations have, you know? Yeah. And, and money. I mean, that we have the money to help the smaller nations. That's a big, big issue that was discussed a lot. Like, can China, can the U.S., can Australia give funding to the smaller nations that really need infrastructure to start creating um, green energy and to take care of their people that are going through these massive floods and these issues that are created due to climate change. I do feel like some of the big players like Biden and the very first day, all of them were there and there were some great speeches and I actually arrived. I didn't get to go into COP yet because I hadn't had my test and I didn't have my pass yet. So I watched it on TV or actually I watched it online and that was wonderful. You know, so everyone spoke um, that felt very, you know, just people representing because they had to, they had to come and talk and, and show their, their faces. But as the week went on, you did feel like things were happening. Negotiations were happening. China was there. India with it was there. They were really talking. At the end of each day, you heard like what had happened. And China and India got together. They are some of the biggest polluters because of coal. So that discussion was really big. And some of the things that they came um, up with, you know, that they were going to cut 40 or 50 percent of their coal usage those were the type of things that were that we were looking for and that were happening. Now, I don't know. I think a lot of the countries also walked walked things back after COP was done. So, you know, it's like they said all this, but then things once everything closed and once everyone went home, it feels like a lot of those countries walked um, those decisions back. So, well, did anybody talk about population? I mean, it's no. It's no coincidence that two of the biggest polluters are the people with the this China and India have the most people. They got 1.4 billion people each and and you know, people got to eat, but they also go to the bathroom and they also, you know, they create waste. I mean, it's just we didn't have I don't feel like population was discussed a lot, which is odd to me. I mean, where people go anywhere is is going to be garbage left behind it's going to be waste i mean the problem we have in america it's not you know we uh, we were four percent of the population and we create what 25 percent use up 25 percent of the resources yeah that's a reason for people to not like us 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whenever I hear people, they hate us for your freedoms. No, they don't hate us for our freedoms. They actually kind of <laughs> envy our freedoms, I find. But they, they hate what we do with them. It's like, why do yeah. you need so much? Yeah. You know, why do you need this giant house that you have to heat and air condition 24-7? That's, you know, we just plug into this magical outlet in the wall and we don't think about how where that power is coming from. And also, why don't we, you know, think of others that I feel like we're very, very, I mean, you could say independent, but we're also very self, self-absorbed. Yes. That's what I really feel. We don't care. There. They don't yeah. care. I mean, just like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I have friends on a lot of friends around the world that ask me, you know, what are, why are they doing? Why would the American people vote to this? What is, and I go, first of all, they don't know anything about you and they don't care. Yeah, I do. Because I've been there and I kind of I met you and I know you and I see people around the world and know that we're all interconnected. But most people, they don't even vote past their own town. You know what I mean? Thinking past that. I mean, they don't care. Yeah. Uh, And the knowledge. There's no the the education, the knowledge is there. They're not taught to care about Mm -hmm. other places because think about it. If you're if you're told from day one that your country is the greatest place in the world, <laughs> then by default, everywhere else is worse. So why would you care? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't if, make any sense to me because I've seen all the other, well, many of the other yeah. countries and we, I mean, I love America. I'm, I'm very thankful I was born in America, yeah. but I mean, give me Germany, give me Scotland, give me, you know, Spain any day of the week, give me Hong Kong. And I would love to live there. I would have loved to have been born in any of those locations as well. Well, you're a student of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Well, did they, well, before we get off it and end this thing, I was just wondering, did they, there's a big thing now, at least in the travel world about sustainable travel and slow travel and the effect of travel that travel has on the planet, you know? I mean, that's like a dichotomy that I live with. You know, I, I, I like the environment, but I also fly a lot of the places yeah. and that's bad. You know, jet jets are bad for, <laughs> for the air. I mean, yeah. we don't want to admit it, but they are. And I work on yeah. cruise ships, which have a horrible history for um, environment. So it's like, we're all kind of hypocritical in some way, but you got to balance it out. But the, a lot of the buzzwords that I hear in travel, in the travel realm, anyway, is about sustainable travel, and and maybe instead of taking flying across the ocean and jetting around Europe, you know, in a bit, you know, maybe yeah. lower your footprint a little bit and spend more time and travel slowly in one place, mm-hmm. or use trains or whatever it is. Did they talk about anything like that? You know, that didn't come up. I mean, with Greta around, there's always that talk because she is very good about her travel. You know, mm-hmm. so I think the youth that might be a movement that is more, you know, important to them at this point. But I do feel like, I mean, in Europe, they have the train and it, they, you know, even in Scotland, they had this incredible metro. Everywhere you go in Europe, they have done all of this work already. It's like yeah. in the United States, we don't have a metro in every city. You know, we don't have the ability to, I mean, come on. LA. No, we built it all wrong. We built yeah. it all wrong. It was very short sighted. We built it for cars. What could go wrong? Building for automobiles and having <laughs> and sprawling it out in the suburbs and having no mass transit. What could go wrong, really? I I wanted to go back to what I really got. I felt one of the biggest things I did feel was I was surrounded by people, like-minded people, people that give a damn, people that are trying and working to make a difference. And I think people that are going to make a difference, I really do believe that there's going, I don't know if it's going to be in time, but I do think that these, a lot of the groups that were there and a lot of the people representing their communities are, are real about it. You know, I mean, they have to be <laughs> there. I right. mean, Germany was flooded last summer. How much did Germany? I mean, everywhere you go, you look now, I mean, Kentucky, what if that hurt not that a tornado that just happened, you got to start thinking I about know. this. And I tell people, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Illinois and I don't recall tornadoes happening around Christmas. You know what I mean? I mean, they usually like in the spring or the fall or the summer. I don't remember December tornadoes (laughs) really that and that bad. 
that you know that serious i mean that was really really bad and it's only going to get worse Ooh, yeah that's a good that's it a is. positive note thanks <laughs> well let's uh, okay let's wrap it up with um a little bit of a speed round here so i already asked you what your worst trip was how about um injuries you ever had any kind of uh, sickness or injuries any food poisoning anything like that overseas well, when I was a flight attendant, I hit the ceiling in the back during Ooh. really bad turbulence. That was kind of hit a the nice ceiling, injury. so it dropped really fast, and you and you're yep. small, so yep. for you to hit the ceiling, that's I a big hit jump. The ceiling and broke a wine bottle beneath my ass. Excuse me, <laughs> as I fell, so that was fun. But I was fine. Like I had to go to the doctor, but I was really fine. So that's oh my gosh, my, yeah, my injury. What What do you think of looking at these? I mean. I know abuse of flight attendants was always there, but now everybody has a video camera and we see it. Do you think it's getting worse or are we just seeing it? What did you see any of the kind of this stuff when you were working? I got, I got a lot of, you know, yelling and verbal abuse, but I did not get physical. So yeah. I really do believe that people have gone off the edge and it could be because of what we're going through, you know, the world pandemic. I do also think that, you know, our politics have come into play. I think people being told what to do, they're not, they're not willing to do what they're told. And on an aircraft, you really have to be able to listen and take <laughs> direction. Yeah. So I, I do think it's worse. I worry for my friends and, and that are still working in the airline industry because it's, it's a frightening time for them. Yeah, I can imagine. How about, um, is there one country you've been to that you're like, eh, I'm good if I never go to this place again? Oh. <laughs> Some place that kind of just rub you the wrong I way? Move. Okay. Where I go, I want to move. So I don't know. I mean, China, you know, mainland China is so different from anywhere else than, you know, even Hong Kong. And I think maybe mainland China. I think that's probably. Is it just too crowded or the... Uh, Everything about politics. it, just yeah, politics, the, yeah. You know the and the people are are very different. You know they're they're um, they're harsh, harder than you know others that I've met. I yeah, think. I have seen that. Yeah. I have seen that. Have yeah. you been back to Germany? When was the last time you were there? I think probably we took Chris there for his fortieth. So that was probably almost eight years ago. We were yeah, we were in Germany and Austria. So about oh. eight years ago. Was it like you remember? Oh, it was, it was better because I was an adult and I could do things <laughs> that I couldn't when I was a kid and the wall was down and yeah, it was, inc- I love Germany. I still, I go back as long, as many times as I can. I'll go did, back. did you go in an, into East Germany as a kid? I did. I yeah, went for the yeah. day to East Berlin, but that doesn't really, yeah. I mean, it was, it was interesting, but I guess they, I was told later that they dress it up for yeah. the tourists, yeah. you know, that it wasn't like the rest of East Germany. Exactly. It um it was really interesting. We had to take a train from from West Germany into East Germany to get to Berlin. So um that was kind of cool, you know, as a teenager to see, you know, a communist nation. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I was brought up in the 80s when it was like we were just got to be scared and guys with mm-hmm. army guys are going to check your passports and your papers on the train and they did. And it was like, Ooh, that was crazy. Well, we were teenagers going over to play Berlin, the, the American school. And at, at every stop, there'd be these really young soldiers and a bunch of us. Well, I don't think I was included in that, but a bunch of the girls, um, actually, um, pulled their shirt up and flashed the soldiers (laughs) just to get like a response because they're sitting there and they're probably our age, you know, but they got totally um, like distracted and confused. And I think we actually got them to smile. So that was something we worked hard on. Yeah. (laughs) I find it hard to believe you weren't a part of that. I wasn't. Come on, Nicole. (laughs) I I know Nicole. The, um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty amazing the the amount of places you've been and where you've lived and you've moved around a lot. I mean, what do you think all this travel and all your experiences, what has it taught you about people, yourself and about the world? How has it changed you? It's made me a better person. It's made me more empathetic and it's created I think my 
my reason, my goals, you know, to be a good producer, to be, you know, um, an advocate for human rights. I believe that all the travel is what created that. I don't believe I would have been who I am if I hadn't grown up in Germany and if I hadn't continued to travel. Um, it's such an important piece of who I am. And I don't think I'll ever like settle down. I feel like we'll be in New York for a bit and then we'll move on. So yeah. Did that answer the question? What else? Well, yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> would you move on when you say move on? You th- would you move on somewhere in America or did you really want to go back overseas again? Oh, I'd love to go back overseas. I'd love to go to London and stay and live there for a bit. Yeah. Um, well, bring money too. get a job over there first. I know. I know. <laughs> you don't pick cheap places to live. I know. No. I mean, it's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> of course. Because the expensive places are nice. That's why. Exactly. exactly. Okay. We've got to plan that, uh, that ski trip. Yes. Let's please, please, please. Okay. And now you can get in your plugs. I mean, where can people follow you on social media and what, oh, uh, wow. any cause okay. or anything yeah, you want to I mean, plug? Have, I'm definitely on, um, Instagram. And uh, Nikki, N-Y-K-K-I-P-C. And then I also Facebook, just Nicole Chamberlain. And I don't, you know, I tweet, but not enough. I'm just not a tweeter. Yeah, that's Chris. Chris is a tweeter. Yeah, I'm not a good one. Yeah, yeah, good one. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a good tweeter either. No, no. Yeah, I'm happier when I'm not on it. I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't say that out loud, but I really, It's, it's just so toxic. Sometimes. I mean, and if you don't want to engage, then you're just kind of depressed, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. It's too political. I mean, it's probably gotten better since I haven't been on since the actual election. Yeah. (laughs) I was obsessed for a while. Oh, I wasn't. I I tuned out more than ever during that. Good. But yeah. Well, it was great to talk to you. I know. Stay on the line. I'm going to uh, sign off here, but you stay on and then uh, we'll talk afterwards. But uh, thanks for doing this. And uh, I can't wait to see you guys in New York. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Nicole Chamberlain, everyone. Bye.